As Donovan said, we are starting a new sermon series today, and the series is, is titled From Slaves to Children, the Word of the Covenant. So it's going to be a 14-week series that we are going to engage uh, essentially the Ten Commandments. But in order to do that, I think, properly and to do that with understanding in a way that can be helpful, uh, we are going to try to frame the study of the Ten Commandments in the story of God pursuing people, uh, freeing people, indwelling people, loving through people. And so if you would... Uh, join your hearts and your minds in prayer with me. Gracious Father, we thank you for being here, and we thank you for uh, all these songs that remind us of your presence, that remind us of your goodness, that remind us of your power. Holy Spirit, I do ask that you would um, invade this place in a way that grants us understanding, uh, a deeper understanding of who you are, and that we would trust and put our full weight on your goodness and your love and your grace and that we would believe that not only are you in our midst but you want to do awesome things in us as individuals you want to create in us uh, just deeper roots of righteousness so that you might express yourself and you want to bring yourself glory and we are here uh, anticipating that and excited to watch you do your thing thank you for all the people that pray for this service, that pray for all the moving parts that allow us to come together and uh, worship and glorify you, and thank you for your body of people around the whole world uh, who are exalting your name right now and pouring into your eternal word. And we pray for those who don't know you, that they might come to repentance, that they may come from slavery to life. Amen. You guys can go home. No, I'm just kidding. I have way too many notes for that. Uh, so we're walking into, my desire today is to try to create a, a framework, as I say, where God gives us the Ten Commandments. And so we are going to go back to the Exodus story uh, to kind of discuss and talk about what was happening with God and the Hebrew people and slavery in Egypt. And we're also going to bounce forward to uh, Christ when he was on earth and see some of the similarities and pictures there and how Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And then hopefully, uh, we will bring this to today. Is it January 3rd? And how all of this, and even the Ten Commandments, can be much more than just uh, ten rules on stone, and how these things can fall in line with uh, all of the Scripture, that it is living and breathing and active and able to change our lives in a radical way. And so today, uh, we will enter a little bit into what it looks like in the story to be a slave and be beckoned, be rescued, uh, be taken from that slavery and brought into the family of God. Uh, one of the important things as we enter into this is understanding and realizing that a God who cares for us deeply has gone about kind of creating agreements or understandings when he enters into relationship. And scripture calls that word covenant. So God enters into covenant with his people, and if you've been in the church, you have somewhat of an idea of what that is. Um, our American culture doesn't have a lot of covenants, but basically it could be defined in this way. Uh, a covenant is based on an ongoing relationship with no appointed end. Now we have understanding of what a contract is, and sometimes contracts are agreements that have relationships, but they don't have to. Example, if you 
if you purchase something on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace and you at some point hit the button, I agree, to all these rules and regulations, and then you meet in a grocery store parking lot and give a stranger $20 and she gives you an Xbox game and you say, see you later, and you drive away. Uh, there's some contract built into that. There's uh, some legal bindings built into certain things, some of them more formal than that, right? Uh, but there's no true relationship. There's no true personal uh, experience and interaction, and there certainly is an end to that situation. Maybe the closest understanding that we have, or at least the most regular understanding that we have of a covenant, is, is the marriage covenant. And Hebrew marriages, they had this thing called the kutuba. And basically, it was the marriage covenant that Jewish people would enter into, and essentially it established the responsibilities, the rights of the bride and the groom. And so in some ways, when God uh, gives us the Ten Commandments, which we're going to title, and there's much more to this title as you'll see, but the word of the covenant, he's saying, I'm going to begin a personal relationship with you. We're going to begin to interact in a way um, that's closer and deeper and truly has no end. And so I'm going to give some definition to that. I'm going to create some expectations of that. I'm going to, uh, it's going to helpful it's going to be helpful if, if we kind of know what that is going to look like and how that's going to work. So I just got, I coached youth basketball, just got done with the tournament. And so at the beginning of a season, if I'm a coach, there's a lot of times I'll bring my players or even their families in and I'll create some ground rules. And a lot of it will be, uh, I'm the authority, I'm going to ask you to do some things and I hope that you trust me and respect me and just fall in line to those things that I ask you to do. And I often say practices for me. I'm going to require a ton of you, and I want you just to be a yes, sir. Some of it I'll explain, and you'll understand why I want you to show on a screen or run the lane wide. Uh, some of it you won't understand, and I just ask you to trust me. And if games are going to be for you, where you're going to reap the fruit of your hard work in a game, and I'll watch and cheer you on. And so I establish kind of some definitions of our relationship with the hopes that they will honor that and respect that. And if I hold up my end and if they hold up their end, there should be a, a great harmonious relationship that we both experience blessing for. So in a way, I think the Ten Commandments, instead of just us seeing these things as you better do this and you better not do that or else, um, I hope we see them in the context of this love story, this relationship that God, God is creating, and that years and years ago with the Hebrew people, he's beginning to put some understanding to that. And so at some point, like my players, they realize, oh, now I see why you want me to run the lane wide. It makes sense now. And so as we sit here in 2021, I think it's very helpful and important for us to look back and kind of see how God has interacted with his people. So the word of the covenant could be the Ten Commandments that were given in Exodus 20. But this could be a spoiler alert, I suppose they say in stories. And if you've been in this church, you know the word of the covenant ultimately is Jesus. In 1 John, it says, in the beginning was the word. And it's referring to Jesus. In Ephesians 3.11, it says, all the eternal purposes of God have been realized through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
So there's kind of a double meaning here and probably many more that branch out from those two eternal truths. But understanding the word of the covenant, we're, we're citing the Ten Commandments, but ultimately all of that is pushing us toward and forward, and we get the beauty of looking back at the story and realizing, my goodness, this has all been fulfilled by the person of Jesus Christ. So we dig deeper into all of what that means. 1 John 3, 23 and 24, I also think gives us kind of a complete picture. And if we have kind of a, a quick broad stroke of what this whole relationship with God is about and his purposes, I think it will help us then lock in on each individual command that we find in the Ten Commandments as we go through these weeks. And it says this, And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. And the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit that he has given us. So it gives us this great, big, encompassing picture of we are going to be in relationship and this relationship is going to be with such unity that he claims we will be in him and he will be in us. And the purpose of that is so that we love one another. And all that comes to fruition by believing in his son, Jesus Christ. The thing I got excited about as uh, I was even driving up here today and early this morning was when we look back at the Ten Commandments and we're going to talk about uh, Egypt and Pharaoh and the Hebrew people and Moses and Mount Sinai, and it's easy to have those things in the distant past. But I realized coming up here, getting ready to preach, like this is my personal history. Like I am in covenant with the living God. And so to look back and say, I wonder how all this started. I wonder what God established way back when. See, we're a part of the exact same story. Our chapter in the story is just later on. We weren't at the beginning. But in a sense, I hope Christians, saints, as you join me, when we look back, we will recognize and understand this is just earlier chapters in the story that God is continuing to write. And now he has come to your name. He's come to your part of this. first place we'll go is understanding that we have been rescued from slavery and brought into new life. So I think God has a desire to be intimately connected with his people, and there's some roadblocks. So with the Hebrew people, they were slaves. And so when we look in the Old Testament, when we uh, go back and look at the Ten Commandments, there's a couple important things we need to understand. And so I think when God establishes some things, and then we'll dig deeper and deeper, uh, I heard Matt Chandler say one time, he's a, he's a pastor down south, he says, when you look at the Old Covenant, he says, in order, God establishes these rules, and he says, I, I need you to try to keep these rules. Even though you won't be able to, I need you to try. Well, that's an interesting, feels like a trick, right? But the point is, if you want to be right with somebody, God says, this is what you want, this is what I want. And when our hearts say, yeah, I'd love to be right in life, I'd love to be right with the Creator God, and so he says, okay, I, I need you to try to do this in order for what? For you to understand that you can't. And one working definition of slavery could be that you are not able to do what you want to do. That could be a person oppressing you. But boy, that sounds an awful lot like my life sometimes, and that sounds an awful lot like Paul in Romans 7, right? Slavery could be you are not able to do that which you want to do. And so I think point one 
is acknowledging slavery. And it's important to look back at some really concrete, earthy evidences and pictures of slavery to remind myself, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's where I come from. There's this really interesting conversation Jesus has in the Gospel of John 8.31. It says, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we're Abraham's descendants, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How do you say that you'll become free? So Jesus is claiming freedom, and they're like, wait a minute, we're free. We're, we're Hebrews. And here's what Jesus responds in 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Now the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So Jesus on earth tries to point out to these people, it's not just your, your, your birth order or the nation that you were born into that I'm talking about here. I'm talking about something of your heart and something of your soul. I'm th- talking about something that, can, that touches and controls and grabs every choice in every area of your life. He makes claim that anyone who sins is enslaved to sin. And then he gives a little bit of a, a foretaste of what he actually is wanting. Not just freedom, but he talks about this idea of family. That if you're a slave, you, can't, you don't remain in the house forever. You can't be united and one and family for all time. He says, I'm trying to get you to see that I want to bring you into my family as sons and daughters to reign and live and love with me forever. There's two dangers when we look at the Ten Commandments. And I think they're exemplified well in the prodigal son story. So all of a sudden you throw these ten commands, these ten rules. Here's what you should do, here's what you shouldn't do. So we can have a couple different approaches, and I think this is kind of forewarning. Let's guard ourselves with this. So one is we, uh, we kick the rules. We don't care about the rules. We don't acknowledge God as wise. We don't acknowledge God as perfect. We don't acknowledge God as creator and sustainer. And we're going to do what we want. We think we know, and so like the young son, he goes off and he does whatever he wants. And as a result, he winds up cold, lonely, hungry in a pig pen. And that happens to us as well. So we could say that could be also categorized as licentiousness. We have a license to live the way that we want to live. But a big part of this story, and I think more of a danger probably for those sitting in, in Rimrock Church and Uh, listening online would be the older brother where he sees these rules and he thinks he keeps them good enough but he has no relationship with the father there's no love interaction there's no dependence on there's no joy in that relationship and so as a result he's the legalist and all legalists all do the same thing in the sense that they have to minimize the perfect law of God to even trick themselves that they're meeting it. And so two, they have zero integrity towards the holiness of God. But the other thing they do, especially this older brother, is they use it to judge and as a hammer for other people. So let me dumb down the law a little bit so I feel good about myself and then let me tell how bad you are. And that tastes a lot like we see in American religion today, does it not? And so as we look at commands in Scripture, especially the most well-known, it's super important for us to recognize and understand 
the framework and the context and the story around this, or we'll find ourselves sliding into one brother or the other. And both of these have their, their genesis in this idea that we eat from the knowledge of, tree of the knowledge of good and evil instead of the tree of life. The genesis comes from this idea that we think we know, but we don't. Ben was telling me a story. His, ben is our senior pastor. He was uh, going to take Ethan, one of his sons, ice skating. And Ethan says, I hate ice skating. I don't want to go ice skating. That doesn't sound good. I hate ice skating. And Ben says, he's never been ice skating. And so, of course, you can assume what happens. Ben makes Ethan go, and when he's done, Ethan is ready to, you know, join the Olympics. He wants to buy ice skates. That was the greatest time. That was awesome. And the point is, how often do we think we know, but we don't? And so one way or another, we enter and we look at these rules, and so we decide how we're going to apply them or whether they should be rules or not, or whether they're relevant today or not, or how are they going to fit and I'll abide by them to a certain extent so long as they're in line with my agenda and my desire. See, we look back at the past and we look at foolishness and we look at other people so we can look in the mirror and see our own foolishness. So how'd this love story begin? This story of rescue. God so loved the world. So it starts with a heart of compassion from the all-powerful creator God. He is concerned with those in slavery. He is concerned with those in darkness. In Exodus 2, 23 and 25, it says, During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help. Because of their slavery, it went up to God, and God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on Israel and was concerned about them. So a part of the story, we skipped Genesis 12, when God tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to use you to be a blessing. So he first establishes this, this relationship with the Hebrew people. And then, years later, when he sees Israel in slavery and they cry out to God, he says, I remember my end of the deal and I will make good on it. And that comes from this heart of compassion. So we can know and understand that everything that takes place in this book, the good, the bad, and the ugly, everything that takes place in the history comes from and starts with the heart of compassion from the creator of all things. Jump forward here. In Matthew 9, 36, we also see this heart on display. And this time it's the person of Jesus. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Many of you have felt that same charge in your heart. When someone you love is in danger. When someone you love is lost, when someone you love is confused. You can remember two specific examples that are easy to share because it turned out okay. Sometimes the other one's a little bit harder. But when Sherry and I were first married, we lived in North Carolina, a little married student housing apartment, and she had gone to bed, and I'm out in the kitchen, and I hear the door shut, and I hear her scream, and it's muffled as if someone's like standing over the top of her. And so I fly in there, and my heart is on fire, and I hammer the door open, and she's up in bed, and I'm looking for the bad guy, (laughs) and she's going like this, and I'm like, and she's like, what's the matter? And I was like, I heard you scream. She's like, I heard someone scream too. 
So the point is, our neighbor was screaming, playing with her boyfriend, tickling her, and they were just having fun. But man, in my mind, it was so real. I am walking into this room, and somebody's going to die tonight. And everything in me came alive in that moment. It was a heart of love and compassion that said, it's go time. Years later, we have a couple kids, and my daughter Natalie, right, she's in bed, same kind of situation. I'm in my room, I hear her scream. And so I run in there, and it was, it was more than dream it sounded like. So I'm kind of sleepy as well, and I run in there, and I slam the door open, and she just had a nightmare. But I can remember walking back, and I can't sleep forever because the adrenaline's flowing, right? And I thought, there was nothing in me that was going to stop and say, I wonder how big this guy is. I wonder if it's even a man. I wonder if I'm going to approach a demon. It didn't matter. And I didn't think about it. It was just the, the heart of love that you have for people that you have felt. When they're in danger, you will do anything to rescue. You don't have to think in those moments. And what a glorious picture to recognize and understand and frame the Ten Commandments through this idea that God looks upon you and that same charge is in his heart. I love this image of the Trinity in heaven. And as they're watching slavery take place in the Hebrew people, they're watching slavery take place in my life, they're watching slavery take place in your life, that King Jesus sets his crown aside, he takes off his robe, and he hangs it up, and he says, I'm going to do something about this. And he tightens up his greaves on his forearms, and he sees each face, and he says, it's time. That's Christmas, and that's coming again. That heart is why he establishes definition and rule and commands. So anytime you read something that he says, here's what I want you to do, sometimes you understand why and sometimes you don't. And we have got to go back to that picture and that image where King of Kings says, I'm going to do something about the slavery. Going back to Exodus, there's a heart of compassion that can just stay an emotion, and then there's a heart of compassion that translates into action. And God takes action. And he takes action in an interesting way. He takes action by giving a son. First, it starts in the Exodus story with the birth of Moses. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter from the house of Levi. And the woman conceived and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus basket and covered it with tar and pitch. And then put the child in, set him in the water and the reeds by the Nile. And now, uh, okay, so birth of Moses. God sends a son, and most of you know some of that story where he's raised up in Pharaoh's house by Pharaoh's daughter, and he's a Hebrew. And then um, pretty soon the Egyptians, Pharaoh, have been slave, enslaving the, the Hebrews. And God says, Moses, I got something for you. After he runs and kills a guy and does all this stuff, he says, I got something I want you to do. I'm calling you to deliver my people. I'm calling you to rescue my people from bondage, from slavery. They cannot do what I want them to do. They cannot do what they were born to do. They cannot do what 
they long to do. So I need you to be a deliverer. I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. New Testament, again, the benefit of being able to look back, we get to see that Moses was a type pointing to Jesus. And so, coming into the New Covenant in Matthew one twenty-three, it says, Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which translates, God with us. And in Luke four eighteen through 19 Jesus is reading out of the prophet Isaiah, and it says, and he's saying, this has come about this day, I am here, I am the fulfillment of this prophecy. In 4.18 he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim release to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who have been oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Okay, jump forward in the Exodus story, and now we move into the kind of the well-known plagues in Exodus 6, 13. So God promises a sacrifice. So again, Pharaoh is not letting his people go. He continues to ask for freedom. He says no. He throws plagues. Every once in a while, Pharaoh seems to say, okay, okay, and then he comes back, and he just doesn't like the discomfort, so we throw more plagues and more plagues, right? And so this whole point is this picture of a hardened heart, a heart that is enslaved, a heart that is not aligning with God, a heart that is oppressing others, and a just God, the God who is judged, says it's time for judgment to be paid out. And so he sends these plagues upon Pharaoh, and the last plague is the one we want to focus on today because that's moving us in and further into the story. And now we see the judgment of God laid out, but also the mercy and the grace of God poured forth. So here's what happens. The last plague, as most of you know, is um, God says the firstborn child in all the land will die. Tonight I'm going to send angel of the Lord, angel of death, and the firstborn child of all of Egypt will die. It says this in Exodus. For I will go through the land of Egypt that night and fatally strike the firstborn, all the humans and the animals, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment, for I am Yahweh, or the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live, and when I see the blood, I will pass over, and no plague will come upon you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So, Jewish tradition, this is called the Passover, right? So God has told Israel, he has told the Hebrew people, you need to sacrifice a lamb, and you need to smear that blood over the entry of your house. And that blood as will be a sign of sacrifice, so something has died so you don't have to. So I will pass over, and all the firstborn who do this, who honor what I say, who trust me, they'll be spared. So the mercy of God is on display. We know, looking forward, again, the fullness of this was realized through the person of Jesus Christ. In John 1, 29, when John the Baptist who came and said, repent, 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 understand you're in slavery to sin because a new way is coming. God wants to rescue. As he's walking and Jesus is walking, he says, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
Romans 3, 24 through 26 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness, because in God's merciful restraint, He let the sins previously committed go unpunished for the demonstration, that is, of His righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. So further into the story, in the Exodus story, we get the Passover. And as we know, he does, Pharaoh agrees after all these horrible things to let the people go and gives them gold and provides for them. And then as they take off, bitterness and anger rile up in him again and he sends his full force of his army to go kill the Hebrews. And so, as the Hebrews and Moses are led out, they come to the Red Sea in front of them, which sea in the Old Testament often represented not just water, it represented death, it represented darkness. And so they come to the sea, and we know the story. The Egyptian army is behind them. And so here's what they say. You can guess, right? As Pharaoh approached the sons of Israel, look, and behold, the Egyptians were coming after them, and they were very frightened. They cried out to the Lord, and then they cried out to Moses, Is it because we have no graves in Egypt that you have taken us out here to die? But Moses said, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will perform for you today. For the Egyptians who you have seen today will never be seen again, and the Lord will fight for you. You have only to keep silent." So the Red Sea, which truly happened, not just a parable, but I believe as real as that was, there was real deliverance, there was real splitting, there was real death, there was rescue, there was freedom. It's also a picture of a greater freedom. It's a picture of resurrection. It's a picture of something that was desperate, hopeless, and utter death that was brought to freedom, to life, and further relationship. And so as we look back on the story of Exodus, as we look back on the Red Sea, I hope we can begin to understand and recognize that's our story. That's the picture of the empty tomb and Christ's resurrection and Easter. That's the picture of God saying, let me give you a deeper understanding of what it looks like to move from slavery to freedom. And then God reveals a new covenant of life, and this gets us to the Ten Commandments. So they go through the sea, and they're marching. And they, God goes and sends Moses to Mount Sinai, and that's where he has an interaction, and he gives them the Ten Commandments. And since he's, he's giving them a new way of life, because we'll take time later on to recognize that God, one of my, I love this portion of Scripture where it says, to Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may worship me. We get back full circle to the heart of God that says, I want to know you and I want to be known by you. I want to have this intimate love relationship and I want you to express that to people. Saying, I didn't just free you for the sake of doing whatever you wanted, licentiousness. I didn't just clean you or just forgive you. I freed you so that you might worship me. And the gospel always goes somewhere. Worshiping God, we talked about in 1 John, results in loving others. 
And so this is what Mount Sinai is about. This is what the Ten Commandments is about. So Moses went up. This is Exodus 19. And the Lord called him to the mountain and said, This is what you shall say to the house of Jacob, that's Hebrews, and tell the sons of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments, then you shall be my own possession among all the people of the earth. All of the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. He's saying, listen to coach. Jesus saw the crowds, and he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down to his disciples, he opened his mouth, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Incredibly similar, and I think Jesus was likely reenacting Mount Sinai. He's saying, I'm ushering in the new covenant, and I'm going to take my place on the mountain, and I'm going to begin to show you some new commands. I'm going to start to define what this relationship is going to look like so that you can understand. The Ten Commandments say, Thou shalt not steal. Why? Because you are here to express the life of God, and God's no thief. Thou shalt not lie. Why? Because you are going to bring an invisible God out into the open where the world can see, and God is all truth. And we can read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and get a taste of what it looks like to be a part of God's kingdom to express who God is. In Jeremiah 31, 31, it says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand and brought them out of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. For this covenant which I make with the house of Israel after those days, I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each one to his neighbor or his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. For the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wrongdoings and remember their sin no more. So I benefit. It's so helpful for me to recognize and look back and get clear picture of what slavery looks like to the Hebrews and Egypt. Of what rescue and deliverance looks like by the Passover and the plagues. Of what resurrection looks like by the miraculous parting of the Red Sea. And then as we get to commands, I understand that that is still so much love and beauty and grace and guidance of God. When he says, this is how it's going to work best for you, Nick. And then I look at my life and I understand and I start to recognize, holy cow, I forgot what a slave I was. It's good for me to remember. I forgot the purpose of my freedom was to worship God and love others. I rest in the fact that he has written his word on my heart. Here's what this looks like for me today. So I didn't know I was preaching until yesterday. And Ben's fine, but couldn't come. And so he sends me his notes, and he says, starting the series. And so I got all of his notes. And so I'm skimming through the Bible, and I'm refreshing the story of Exodus. And I'm just reading, you know, the headings in the Bible and saying, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then every once in a while, I'll stop, and I'll get kind of entrenched into the story. And part of the story is when God says, Moses, I got something that I need you to do. And Moses says, no, 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 no. 
I'm not an eloquent speaker. And God says, certainly I'm going to be with you. I made your mouth. I'm going with you. And God told me today, you're driving up the hill and you just figure this out. And he says, Nick, I'm going to be with you. And you can enter rest. The sermon might be crap. I don't know. But I have tons of peace. And God says, hey, watch this. And he tells Moses, watch this. And what I'm telling you is you can be or you are a part of the same story. The voice that God spoke through a burning bush and told Moses is the same voice that I heard today. I didn't have to take off my shoes. The hair on my neck didn't stand up, but it kind of is now. When you recognize and you understand, we're a part of this. It's a love story, and when we frame the Ten Commandments that way, they take on a whole new light. We're getting ready to take communion. This is another awesome reminder, another awesome picture of what it looks like to be invited into the family of God, and he makes sure we recognize and understand because he is just and because he is holy, it came at a cost. And so we take bread and we break it because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me that my body was broken and hung on a tree and died for you. He says, take this wine, this juice, and drink it in remembrance. And I get a pretty good picture today of a lamb sacrificed and blood smeared so that horrific, terrifying, blood-curdling, firstborn children dying didn't have to be our story. And he says, when you take of this, remember what I have done for you to make it possible to live with you. So take a minute for yourself as the team's going to play and ponder what God has done with you and receive that.